Welcome back to the podcast. Um, I did say I'd get better intros. Maybe I was lying. But anyway, I just wanted to say thanks to everybody who's been checking out the podcast so far. Um, we're only on episode three, but it seems like people are digging it. So I dig that, and that's great. So I'll keep doing it. Um, yeah, up next we got Brandon Brown, my good friend from the Scotland... Scotland in the UK, but now lives in LA and is uh, is really killing it over there. So you will find out all about that in this chat. So tune in and get comfortable. Oh, and by the way, the audio in this podcast is premium quality, thanks to Brandon and his fancy microphone. Give up for Brandon. Reese is recording the call. Reese is recording the call. How's it going, man? It's it's going well. How are you? Good. Yes. Apart from uh, our mishap earlier, I, I now, do you translate do you have, the time wrong? Do you have theme music that goes the rolls with this? Did you write a little yeah. piece? Yeah, I'll I'll edit later. Um, people, I guess people will know because the first episode will have it, right? Right. But just to give some people context, there, I'll probably speak about it at the beginning. But you know that I'm just gonna say it. That stupid funk riff I wrote. That everybody loves. <laughs> yeah. Perfect intro music. Boom. Well, that's, Boom. That makes Boom. sense. Boom. Yeah, so I'm like, yeah, yeah me, me and Patrick are going to work on that and uh, hopefully make a little thing, like an intro. Because cool. I don't want to have some like cheesy, like, I hear Yannick was Dalla's intro music. I'm like, what the hell, man? Oh, I've never listened to his. Um, yeah, check out I, his podcast. It's good. Sarah, Sarah used to do a podcast and I wrote the music for hers. And it was like super cheesy. Like, yeah. But yeah. It has to be sometimes. Be and you think you're going to release this in January? What the f- new, oh the, the podcast yeah, yeah 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 so when people are listening you might be like January or February I don't know I'll work out that stuff later but anyway tell me what's happening with you because it's been a while since we caught up it's been a while uh, it's been probably what a year since I saw you last and probably yeah. had a chat nearly um, yeah in LA um, I've been here like a year and a half now which is exciting it's going pretty fast um doing a bunch of different things it's a it's a hard city to get ahead in because there's so many musicians mm-hmm. so you know it's just a constant uphill battle but you know i've got my got my toes in a lot of different things production film scoring guitar playing you know just just a brief overview of the past year and a half has been i've done a bunch of social media for people i've done you know a couple tours um one in south america i did a couple shows in Vegas nice. with some that was fun um, but that was also incredibly weird which is an interesting story because no one in the entire tour spoke any English wow I was the only person that spoke English they were all Chinese damn and I got I got the call for the gig a couple days before it and they just said your tickets at the airport show up with your guitar and we'll meet you at the first gig Mm-hmm. And I get off the airport. The first date was in San Francisco before we flew to South America. And I get a call when I got off the flight from a Chinese guy who barely spoke English. And he was like, <laughs> I'm in a black car. I'm picking you up. And I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? Wow. It was weird. But it was good. That was fun. I worked out. I'm, I'm alive. <laughs> yeah. Congrats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so 
Yeah, that I mean that's cool. Like I didn't know any of this stuff had happened because it, oh, it seems like you've taken a little bit of break of social media, um, yes. which a lot of a lot of our peers seem to be doing. Yeah. Um, we can maybe chat about that later. But um, yeah, so you've recently moved to LA, right? That's just where you're at now. That's where I'm at. But that is obviously twenty two years in the making, right? Twenty three. Right. Yeah, I'll be twenty three next month. Cool. Oh, we have the same month birthday. Birthday we month. Do. Cool. Yeah. And I might even see you next month, right? Yeah. Awesome. We'll make it happen. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, yeah. How, how did you get to LA? Like, this is go as long as you want into this because oh, okay. Brandon's from Scotland. I'm from Brandon Scotland. And that's kind of our link together. That, I think that's right. why we started talking. Right. Because um, we were kind of on Instagram and you had kind of shot up and, and there weren't really many people from Scotland doing it. Now, there's a couple other guys I see. Yeah. But, Ross um, Campbell's killing it. Ross. On, and um, there's the other guy with the, the red 335. I don't know. I'll send you his link. Anyway. Um, cool. Yeah, so basically, yeah, I went to Berkeley in Boston for college, trying to get my degree, and that was a whole process of trying to get you know scholarship money and trying to raise the funds when you don't really come from money, you know, and most people in Scotland just go to uni and you get it for free in Scotland. So why would you go anywhere else and put yourself under that stress of having to pay a quarter of a million dollars to get a degree, which is ridiculous. But I didn't really see any option at that point because I, there, for me, I was just so, so like so enclosed and like a small town and there didn't really be, seem to be any options musically. Like there was one program at the, the Royal Conservatoire in Glasgow, but I didn't want to do classical. I hadn't really gotten into jazz yet, so I, I hear their jazz program is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was one program at Edinburgh Napier Uni that I applied to and got rejected just because you had to have really good English scores. It's funny. School. It's so funny because I know guys who went to Napier, and a lot of right. them are really good players, yeah. but just knowing that you never got in there. It's funny. I actually never got into Napier as well. Right. Um, I applied and yeah, it wasn't the same reason. I actually had higher English, but at the time my right. music theory was so bad and they gave me this music like grade five thing and I just, right. I was so crap at it. But anyway, go see, on. See, that was funny because I, the first time I, I applied twice, the first time oh, I wow. applied, first time I didn't have higher English, I was just sitting my exams. So I, my teacher had to, you know, the, the university had to go off of predictions when, cause I was in fifth year. So um, my teacher, my, my teacher hated me and she predicted that I was going to fail. And then I ended up getting an A for higher English. Right. So I, I reapplied after my first year at Berkeley because I didn't know if I was going to have enough money to go back. Right. So I had the year's worth of Berkeley experience and my higher English and still got rejected. That's ridiculous, man. Isn't that like, nuts? I, I don't know what they're looking for. Cause like, I have no idea. <laughs> it's the same way every college. Like there's, there's good players and there's players who are let's be right. honest of like course. they're all right um right. like how did you not get in there man but uh, you know what uh, tell me like me. was it a good good thing that you never got in oh totally oh my god i mean if i had gotten in there i would have stayed probably i would probably be living in edinburgh because that's probably yeah. the best city in scotland either that or i would have moved to london but i don't think i would have gotten into as many different avenues of the music industry as i have done like i definitely wouldn't have gotten into production or film scoring I probably just would have been, you know, I might have found myself onto some sort of tour or, you know, probably doing a lot more teaching in the UK. But 
definitely wouldn't have had the same opportunities that I've had out here to go tour in Costa Rica and you know yeah so when you shows. yeah when you applied for Berkeley right you obviously got in right. pretty young right what age were you right I was 16 16 right so I have an image in my head of this like young guy who can like play his ass off and he's like I'm gonna play and that's it and yeah. then you get to uni and you're like oh wait there's all these other things I have to do and that I end up enjoying so maybe tell me a bit about that like because I know like what you've done at uni because right. we've spoken about it but maybe the people listening like could get some insight on that because it's right. kind of you took a lot of kind of twists and turns it seems in different directions Definitely. yeah I mean because when, when I was 16 I was just a wee shredder guy with long hair playing my SG and like trying to play as many notes as I could mm. um and that's still fun. I, you know, I'm not trying to bash it, but I didn't really... I have this very tunnel vision that I was just going to play and play as many notes as I could for the rest of my life. Um, so when I got there, I, I quickly realized, you know, I, I realized that I wanted to, after I graduated, stay in America and try and pursue something rather than going back to the UK. And the only way that that would be possible, you know, just by the way that visa stuff works in America... You can't just sit around and play guitar all day and let them let you stay in the country. Yeah. So I realized, you know, if, if, if for in order for me to get the most success and prepare myself the most, once I graduate, I had to start diversifying myself and what I could do. So when I got there, I started learning about film scoring. And it was funny because after my first year... At Berkeley, I came home to Scotland and started working for a Scottish film composer who was pretty big. His name was Patrick Doyle, and he worked on the fourth Harry Potter movie and Thor and Brave, did a bunch of you know huge Hollywood movies. And so I started working for him and just picking up little things. And it was really when I heard a live orchestra for the first time that we were working with that I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm hooked. This is what an amazing sound that people can produce. You can write this, you can conduct it. And it was really the conductor, I think, that inspired me the oh, most wow. because when we first went in that first summer, the orchestra, when they played through the score and it just sounded mediocre, right. but by the end of it, it sounded like like the LSO or something. It was huge. It sounded incredible. So just the amount of control the conductor had over these and like musicians in order to make them better and just what an ear this guy had 50 musicians would be playing at once he knew exactly which one was mm -hmm. wasn't playing the way they should be so that was incredible to me so i think i was inspired mainly by the conductor but so that that kind of opened my eyes to the film world i really wanted to start writing music for picture so i went back to berkeley took some film scoring classes and then in about my third year i started realizing well i don't really know much about the, the business i don't know much about the legal side of it or the recording industry side. So I started taking business classes. So Berkeley offers a really good program called Professional Music, which is ba they call it the Build-A-Bear Major. So rather than taking <laughs> one major in film scoring or one major in guitar performance, you can mix and match. So right. I took professional music and you can take up to two concentrations. So my two concentrations were film scoring and music business. Sorry, film scoring and performance because I still wanted to play guitar and do all that. This is and your third I, third year, right? Yeah, roughly my third year. Cool. Um, so film scoring and guitar performance, and then you you have elective credits that you can take, and I used that those to take music business classes so that I was 
really put myself in the best situation possible for when I graduated. I'd be able to, if I needed to, I could work at a record company or a publishing company or a tech company who had a music aspect. I could work for film composers, I could write music, I could produce music and I could play, do session work and go on tour and I've done all of those things so far. I, now it's just a case of taking it to the next level and like really um, kind of setting myself in my career and a lot of people when I moved to LA they were like we should really just pick one thing to focus on you should you shouldn't spread it out so much and I was like well that there's some truth to that and maybe I'm taking away some time from each that could be spent and really getting to the next level on one of them Mm -hmm. but until that time comes I, I don't see that I'm taking time away from another to focus on all three you know production film scoring or business or guitar or whatever you know it until that time comes, I'm quite happy spreading my abilities out over these different avenues um, because it's, I, I don't want to pick one. So maybe one day the time will come where I'm forced to pick one. Yeah. If I get an opportunity and one to go tour the world for a year or, you know, score a film, that'll obviously take up more time. And, you know, yeah. but, but I think even, even though like one of those opportunities will come up for you, of course, but right when they do it's like you still have the other things to fall back on you know absolutely and it's like not not even fall back on but just go on to something else you know absolutely because a lot of people when they when they focus on touring when they get when they're young they get about 10 or 15 years out of it and then they're too old all the young acts don't want to hire them and then they're like oh crap what what do i do now Mm -hmm. so i kind of wanted to you know foresee that and not let that happen when i turned 30 or 35 when i was too old to be hired by any of these young act yeah cool man so obviously a lot to go on after that but just want to wind back a little bit because when you were at Berkeley uh if I'm right you had some sort of a job where you advised people on like how to get into Berkeley or something like that no there was something Um, that you you helped out with that a little bit I did I was I was on the I was on the student ambassador team which they would they would send me around the country with the audition and interview team that's it. And I would get to help, you know, answer questions to prospective students. And now I get to interview them for the college since I'm an alumni. Cool. All right. So, so one big question here that will help sure. so many people, right? Yeah. What is the most common... Hmm, what's the most common kind of pit, pitfall you see in people's auditions? Like one, one thing. Without even thinking. I can tell you that. Can, can I try and guess? Try, can I guess? Sure. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Right, I think a lot of people like are all right players. Is it the theory? Well, no, not necessarily because you don't. They don't really see that as a big part um, of your audition, right? And that's why you want to go to college because they they want to teach you their system from the beginning anyway. So it's honestly better if you come in with no theory knowledge at all because they have different terms and stuff they want you to right. learn. Um, so, they have their own system, but the biggest thing I would say would be. Um, a lot of people come in and they think they're amazing and they think that because they come from towns where or high schools that they're the best player and then all the best players come to Berkeley and they're no longer the best mm-hmm. and the, coming to terms with that really makes a lot of people feel down and I think that's a lot of the reason why in the first year the dropout rate is pretty high right so it's a combination of you know a reality check that you're not the best there are other people out there yeah but also people thinking that music college is just going to be 
plain sailing and it's going to be easy. They don't realize that you still have to put in the work. There's a lot of theory. Even at Berkeley, there's English and history classes you have to take. There's science classes you have to take. Just because of the way the American education system works, if you want to get a degree, you have to have a certain amount of these classes to make you eligible to get a degree. Um, but that's probably the biggest thing is these small small town people coming or people who are the best in their high school, they all arrive in one place and they realize, oh crap, yeah, I'm not the best anymore. Uh, and I think like coming from that sort of situation, I'm sure you're result. Um, it's not, there wasn't a lot of competition in my high school, for example, right? Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure it was the same for you. Yeah. And it's like, I think one of the most beneficial things you can do as a musician or any anyone who wants to grow is not be the best in the room all right exactly it's like you want to be in that situation so advice to any young people who are thinking about this and feel like they're the best in their town or whatever it is it's like well you're looking at a very small kind of thing here like open up like the pond look for a bigger kind of ocean to swim in absolutely um, i've heard mike stern say that all the time like he always says he likes to put himself in uncomfortable situations because he can learn from these other musicians absolutely you know so i think that's that's definitely key if you go somewhere like berkeley because there are so many good musicians and especially you're never going to find that pool of students from all over the world anywhere else at any other college yeah you know so there's so many different cultures and styles to learn from that you you could technically be such a powerhouse musician if you open yourself up to the fact that you're not the best yeah i think when i because i'd done a trip over to boston and then went to new york and hung out with brandon at berkeley and that was such a cool experience for me for a few reasons just seeing like how cool a place that would be to study and like there's just options for anything but then like the level of musicians that you could hear just every day everywhere it was like I love that atmosphere because it's like I feel inspired and obviously getting to play with you is inspiring as well. And like I remember um, jamming with you and Leslie, the drummer, and that was oh, the first yeah. time we had played. And it was just a jam with like about six guitarists. But um, <laughs> it was just so much fun, like just hearing all these guys play who are like really good at what they do. And I think personally, that's like I love being in that situation where like right. everybody's killing it and I'm like, just really listening to everybody it's like what can i learn from you not like i'm trying to be the best person in this room you know like you need to be humble i I remember when i was in scotland and before i went to college and i always kind of thrived off of meeting someone whether it was at my high school or a different high school or if i was playing in a competition or whatever i always thrived off of seeing someone who was way better than me because i just wanted to go back home and practice mm-hmm. and I, I didn't necessarily feel bad about myself i just knew that there was another level to be reached and i shouldn't be complacent yeah so growing up then like maybe a little bit before the berkeley thing i think i know the answer to this but is there any one person who really ignited that sort of fire in you or like helped you progress in a way that maybe nobody had before definitely i mean because up until this guy who I'll mention in a second, every teacher, I mean, my first guitar teacher, I I had always wanted to learn more than what they were willing to teach me. Mm -hmm. So my first guitar teacher didn't want to teach me sight reading because he said it would take too much time. So I left him and then then I didn't have a guitar teacher for a few years. And my guitar teacher after that, you know, it was, it was like a group class. Um, and after the first week, I started in the beginner class and the second week I moved to the advanced class, to the adult class. Wow. And it was just pointless in me going because, again, it was just 
it might have been adults, but it was a group of beginning adults. Right. So and then my guitar teacher after that, that was good. His name was Callum Harbison. Um, he was in Hamilton, and um, that was another group class, and he 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 was kind of instrumental and in start starting that little theory bug. And maybe opening myself up to a couple different styles that I didn't know about. And we went through the rock school grades together. Um, and then when I got to grade eight, I decided, you know, Callum couldn't really take me any, up to that level. So I found had, Callum's son was a guitar player and he was going to a guy in Glasgow called Rowan Parker, who was actually one of the uh, examiners for rock school. So what better way to pass an exam than to learn from the people judging you on the exam cool so i st- i went to him rowan parker in glasgow and he really i remember that first lesson with him and i just i i left his house after that feeling so bad about myself because it was just an hour of telling of him telling me how bad i was and what i couldn't do but honestly i needed to hear that at that point because i again i was getting complacent and because i was the the best guitar player in the school well i was probably the only guitar player in my school that was, <laughs> you know like i would just thought i was better than i was the, and the he sad just reality really, exactly and he just really brought me back down to earth and said you can't do this you can't do that blah 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 but you can do this one thing i guess that's kind of cool we need to really start working on your theory working on your chords working on different styles um so i probably went to him for about two years before I left to go to Berkeley and that was probably the most defining time. Those two years I learned the most, I mm. advanced the most. Um, and he's just one of the smartest, cleverest people you'll ever meet, not just about music, but he knows a lot about everything. He And he's one of those guys where if he gets into something, he goes all in, he goes a hundred percent in, you know, he, he does it with guitar. I think he did it with his, he started going to the gym one time and his whole life was going to the gym. Now he's, he's kind of done another 180 and started building PCs and he's just going all into that. Wow. So he's um he's a great guy, really nice guy and a great guitarist. Check him out on YouTube. Yeah, he's got a YouTube channel. What's his, uh, yeah. do you know his username? It's just Rowan J. Parker. So R-O-W-A-N. Yeah, R-O-W-A-N-J-P-A-R-K-E-R. Cool. Nice. Ton, tons of free instructional videos. It's it's the best. And if you want a laugh, or maybe not, you can actually search for oh that, God. his Stop. name and Brandon Brown, <laughs> and you'll find f- videos of Brandon when he was a kid. You will find old 14, 15 year old Brandon videos with it's funny. huge what, hair. And- yeah. What I'd done is because I I'd done YouTube like I never I've never actually tried to do YouTube properly, but when I was in high school, I'd upload a video like once every six months. And man, I had the most cringy stuff up there. I had like acoustic guitar versions of the Titanic theme tune and stuff. <laughs> and like all this weird... Yeah, I've, I've hid all that, so he can't see it now. See, I, I did similar stuff too, but mine's also public. <laughs> ah, right, no, I've deleted so you, or like hid most of mine. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, need to kind of... I don't know, you hear a lot of things nowadays. Like, not that that's going to do anything bad for me, but like about someone tweeted something like four years ago and now it's like messed up their whole like political party or something like that oh, right, like i mean right. i don't know like how massive kind of digression here but how hip are you to like uk politics right now being someone who's in la because i still Brexit, keep in touch yeah because like we, we can go down this route for a minute but like is brexit gonna affect you 
You know? Like, I don't think Brexit's going to affect me. You, no? No. Because... Not your visa, like, stuff? Because are you, are you a citizen of the US? No. I'm not a citizen of the US. No, right. I just have what's called an artist visa, which, uh, allow, which gives me three years in the country to practice being a musician. Cool. And that, um, have so you done your first... Is this your first year? Was that included? This is my first year. My, my first year started in May, because up until that point in LA, I was still on my student visa. And after your student visa, after you graduate college, you get a year in the country to start implementing your degree. So... That ended in May, and then I got my artist visa. Um, so now I have three years, or probably two and a half now. Cool, man. So your first yeah. year in LA, then let's talk about that, because that's a massive change. Oh. Brandon, obviously you lived, you were on campus at Berkeley. What was your dorm? I can't even remember. It was the one it on was, the. It was one fifty Mass Ave. Right. Yeah, I remember. I can. I could probably still get there. Um, <laughs> but um, the what am I trying to say here? The change. Yeah, so tell us about the change, because obviously you've got your nice studio now and you're in a, literally everything in the one room at Berkeley, because right. that's how it's set up, isn't it? Right, I mean, yeah, that was a that was a weird change. I mean, what? for all four years at Berkeley, I was living in dorms. Yeah. So I was, for the first two years, I had either two or three roommates, and then the last two years I had my own room. But living in the dorms, you have a calf, you don't have to really fend for yourself, you know, every all your food is made for you, and... You know, it's luxury, really. Um, Except from the fact that you're sleeping with, like, in a room with like three sweaty meals or something. You know, like, right, right, that must have been right. hard for practice. No. Well, it's weird in your first year because you don't get to choose who your roommates are. But after that, when you can actually start living with your friends, you know, and you can, you're all guitar players and you all want to jam and whatever. That that gets a little easier. Cool. But after my second year, I decided no, I, I don't want roommates anymore. I need to. Um, get my own room so I did that um, but yeah so when I moved to LA um, I got I, I moved to the the big bad adult world and um, got my own apartment and uh, that was a change and I had to get a car because LA is not a walking city it's huge so you have to have a car in LA to survive um, there's really no public transport in LA at all Right. so it's rough um, especially the traffic if you get caught in rush rush hour traffic which is really from like seven till 11 in the morning and then four till seven at night Damn. so it's crazy so you just need to watch you don't get caught in that but it's a, it was a weird transition yeah, i had my first apartment and i had i had saved up some money from when i was in college so it allowed me to get a car and and get put down a deposit to get my apartment and kind of live for a little bit and i had a job just i did a lot of random jobs i worked at a streaming company when i first got here and then I started working for a film composer and I was teaching Skype lessons like through my Instagram and stuff. And that really helped. It was always something to fall back on. Just always having that content, having people to know about you, just having that ability to be your own boss and do the Skype lessons is a lot. I, you know, I think I probably took it for granted at the time, but um, yeah, that's always good to have. It's good, good thing to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did I do in my first year? Uh, like, has there been any, any like, huge things? Because I know you've been, like, super busy in the last year, like, just right. doing what you can. And has there been anything, like, or a couple of things that have, like, or that do stick out to you that were, like, just really helpful helpful in moving forward? You know, like, certain yes. opportunities? Because I know the streaming thing didn't work out too well for you. Right, I was just going to talk about that. So that's probably the thing that 
propelled me forward the most. So I was I'll, just for the for the people at home. Yep. Um, I was working at the the streaming company in Hollywood, and I was doing A and R, which stands for Artists and Repertoire, and I was basically in charge of onboarding new artists and to upload their music to this platform. And that was a great job. It came with a great salary and I could choose my own hours and still work on music outside of this job, which was great. But then one day I asked, so we, we shared an office with a management company and I and one of their clients was Calvin Harris, a huge Scottish producer, DJ, who I don't even like that much anyway. But I just saw it as I've been thrown into one of, like the heart of the music industry. Let's see what I can do. So I asked his manager could I, if I could sit in the studio one time and just observe, just sit in on a session, a recording session, and they just flipped out and fired me, you know, that day or a couple days after it for no reason. That's so bizarre, man. But like, it's a very over the top, but very corporate, very e- egotistical. Like they just they saw themselves as better than everyone else, and you know they were like, Calvin's a four hundred million dollar artist, and we can't have you working here whatever it was done um Mm. so that i didn't know at the time but you know after that i i was really forced to start because that was a month a month of me living in la i had that job and after that i didn't have it anymore so i thought crap what am i gonna do so i really had to start utilizing the stuff that i was preparing for in my degree so started teaching guitar, started meeting people, contacting people, started writing music, working for film composers, started producing music, playing gigs. Um, and although I didn't know at the time, if I hadn't got fired, I probably would have not have... Basically, a few months down the line, the company ended up shutting down anyway. Right. So it really just helped me get get ahead of the game for that. You know, so if it didn't happen then, it was going to happen in five or six months. Mm-hmm. So I, I was able to get ahead of them closing down, really. Yeah. Um, so I was just thrown into it at the deep end trying to figure out how I was going to pay rent. Didn't know anyone in L.A., don't have family in America. So, what well, you know, I just had to figure it out. Cool, man. So what kind of things fun. have you been doing? Because I know, like, you just kind of listed some of the sort of gigs you've been working on in that. but. Right. You know, LA is the kind of place I imagine you have to stay relevant. And it's like, yeah. Because of you trying to stay relevant and taking on all these kind of opportunities, what, you know, a couple of things stand out again in this year, like sort of maybe more music related. Because obviously that failure, like, that says a lot about you. Like, the failure is the, in a way, the best thing that happened, you know? Totally. And it's like, it's a common kind of common thread. And, um, yeah, what what good things have happened in the last year, or something? Oh that you've yeah, been I mean, excited about. Yeah, I mean, so the one thing I mentioned in the beginning was the tour to uh, to South America. That was great. Um, um, another thing was I I got a chance to music direct a couple artists from the UK, and they flew out and we did like a week long residency in Vegas, which was really cool. And the, two of the artists, one of them was Joseph Apostle, who was on The Voice UK. Um, he's a great singer so I was his music director and then another artist called Luvia who's very kind of cinematic pop kind of mysterious and so I was also her music director and we got to play these really cool gigs in Vegas um, and th- so that was one of the highlights of this year um, let's see another highlight would be 
I got to go out to a studio. Uh, there's a, a, a place in California called Joshua Tree. And there's a studio called Pink Satellite Studios in the middle of the desert. And it's owned by the, the music director and, and keyboard player for Queen, a oh. guy named Spike Edney. Sweet. And I got to go there for a couple days and record guitar for, for a guy named Tom Cridlin, who was this guy from London. Um, and he, he flew out to, to record his album at this studio and hired me to play all the guitar. Um, so that was a really cool experience in the middle of nowhere for a couple of days at this amazing studio, no distractions. I mean, it's, it was literally like 10 miles on a dirt road off of any major road in the middle of the mountains. It was crazy. Um, so that was a great experience. Um, uh, more recently, I think in the past few months, um, I actually worked at a composer agency a few months back for about three or four months. Cool. Um, I don't know if I ever mentioned that to you no. personally, but basically when May came around this year, May of 2019, I knew I had to apply for my visa because my student visa was running out. So that obviously requires getting lawyers and filing processing fees with the US government and all that. Um, so... I just needed some money to help file those papers and get the lawyer and whatnot. Um, so I took this job at a composer agency, which at the time I really didn't want to take, but I just needed the money. But it really became one of the more valuable experiences that I've ever had because I was able to gain access to a world that no one really knows about. I mean, people talk about scoring films and scoring TV shows and documentaries, but no one talks about how musicians actually get those gigs how a composer gets an agent or how they get signed to a, a huge blockbuster movie so i was able to learn all of the big names in the industry i was able to learn everything that the agency does to get their clients out there get their names and their music out and in, in order to get these opportunities so that was really eye-opening and, and it was really just a four-month education for myself mm. um and then they represented some of the biggest composers in the world um so that was a great experience so i did that for about four months um and then more recently i've been still focusing on guitar i mean i'm playing gigs here and there um i'm working on my album actually i was gonna ask about that oh i'm lying i'm not working on my album because i thought for the longest time i was like i need to get an album out but now i'm just i'm thinking i'm just gonna release singles cool because i'm sick of waiting to have the, the material and the money to get everything recorded and mixed and mastered for a whole album. Yeah. So I think, you know, I, I can get maybe one track a month really polished. That's um, that's great. Which is pretty decent. So you, I, I... Sorry. Uh, no, no, I was just going to say you could just see it long term and be like, well, if I get a track a month, then at the end of the year I have an right. album. But I, I know how the single game I just, like, seems... Yeah, I really just want to get content out there because I have been quiet online for a bit. So I really just wanted... I felt like I was falling behind in the community. So I think... You know, online I, community. I thought, the online community. So I thought if, if I just put, start putting out singles, I can at least get... Because I don't have any original guitar music out there unless it's like a couple tracks here and there on YouTube. Mm -hmm. But I'd love to get stuff out there on Spotify and... and and all that stuff. So I th I think I've almost finished one track, which I'm really happy with because I've spent months on it, on this one track alone. Mm. And it, it took me a while to try and find the sound that I was going for because I'd always struggled with 
Do I want to be a rock player? Do I want to be a jazz player? Do I want to mm. be a fusion player? What do I do? I have to be any of those players, or can I be all of those players? Yeah. So I think I found a sound that I'm happy with. Can you describe um, that? I'm interested. It's yeah. It's kind of a. It, honestly, it takes in all of my strengths. It has a little cinematic element. It has a little pop production element, but it's very much rock infused. Mm. Um. But there will be a couple tracks that have a very outside fusiony, maybe Holdsworthy sound or Sean Lane type sound. Nice. Um, and but could, it's very it's it's gonna be heavy. Yeah. So could you compare the overall sound to something? It doesn't even have to be like literally. Oh, it sounds like this. But is there anything or a particular artist that you probably, feel inspired yeah, by? Yeah, I, I could probably i mean not not it probably wasn't inspired by this person but it definitely sounds maybe like a heavier martin miller cool nice i, I can totally yeah, imagine so that we'll see. and i think i yeah. i have a good i think i have a good idea like what your strengths are and so i'm really excited to hear right. that um okay cool. it's gonna be cool man hey sorry for interrupting the podcast i'll just be one minute if you're receiving value from this podcast, consider supporting me by getting some of the sitting in merch. From teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash sitting dash in dash podcast. That's T-E-E-S-P-R-I-N-G dot com forward slash stores forward slash sitting dash in dash podcast. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping the first couple months of 2020 I can get the first track out. Um, cool. I re I really just want to get like everything is done. All the audio is done. I just need to get drums and bass recorded on this track. Sweet man, um, you're you're moving, man. You're you're definitely working on something. Yeah, I'm trying. Um, so that that's in my guitar world, and then I've been also um I've been orchestrating a, a Disney TV show recently. Ooh. Um. So uh, yeah. So there's a a Disney Junior show called Vampirina, which is about this little vampire. Vampi- w- Vampirina. Arena. So V-A-M-P-I-R-I-N-A. Oh, right, right, right. I thought you said Vampire Arena, like the OT Arena. No, like like it's all one word, like Vampirina. Right. I'll I'll definitely check that. (laughs) You should go watch it. It's on Disney Junior. Um, But I'm basically working for the composer who writes the music and I'm orchestrating um, all the episodes for season three, which is pretty fun. That's awesome, man. Um, trying to stay versatile um, yeah and then I guess the biggest thing that's been happening recently is I've basically have this company now I was brought this company called Chai Time Studios um, they, they're a startup and they're a production and composition network slash house um, and they basically write original music and produce original music for film and TV and they brought me on as an equity partner in this, in this company, um, and we have some exciting things on the horizon. We just pitched to do a, a DreamWorks TV show. Uh, it's a Madagascar spin-off show, um, and they loved the demos that we sent for that. So that might be, fingers crossed, that might be taking out most of twenty twenty is writing the music for this TV show. Wow! Um, and so we have some exciting things coming up with this company. Um, hopefully some films that we're going to be scoring and uh, some TV shows. So, yeah. Oh, that's the amazing, that's man. That's the bulk of it. So, yeah. so, so, like, every time I speak to you, um, like, I'm always just, like, 
Whoa, man, you're doing you're doing so many cool things, and do but you that's think... the thing I hate talking about myself and posting any of this online. I I, I don't want to. I feel like I'm bragging or boasting. No, not at all, man. Listen, I hate it. Out of everybody I know, and I'm not saying this because you're here. You're one of the most hardworking people I've ever I come across. It. Like when we met, when the first time we skyped years ago. And we maybe even had a similar conversation to this, like, oh, how did you get on at Berkeley or how did you get in and all that stuff? And right. just hearing your story, like, you know, you don't settle for down here. Like, you're always right. working hard. And to, like, even just catching up after maybe, f I don't know how long it's been, but, like, the amount of stuff you've taken on and, like, you're doing great, man. It's so good to oh, hear. I appreciate it. I mean, we, we actually, my girlfriend and I sat down a couple of days ago and we tried to count how many jobs I've had since I moved to LA. And it's it's into the 20s now. Wow. Um, not because, not through choice, just of sheer necessity of it's so expensive to live here. And I want, I, I really want to do so many things. I don't want to settle for just being a guitar player or being a composer. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Just personally to feel fulfilled, I need to explore all of these avenues in order to feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do in life. Yeah, you seem like the perfect person to be thrown in somewhere like LA, where it's like, right. you have to fight or flight, I guess. It's like, right. do you want to do it? Well, get it done then. And it's Absolutely. like, it seems like the best place for you right now. But can you see yourself living in LA for the foreseeable future? Where would you like to move for? Oh, that's, that's a good question. I mean, my plan had always been Five, between five and ten years in LA and I would always love to move back home mm -hmm. to Scotland. Just get my career started so that I can work from anywhere and move back home. But um, you know, the longer you're out here, the more you realise you can't... Sometimes you have to be out here, sometimes you don't. It's very unpredictable. I, I think ideal situation, if my career works out the way that 12-year-old Brandon wants it to work, would be to be back and forth. I'd love to you know, I, I want to spend more time at home in the UK because I, I get to go once a year, if that. So I, I'd love to go and work and split my time, really. Um, if I'm needed in LA, I'll be here. If I'm not, I'd love to be back home and, and just, you know, spend time with my family and see my friends and, you know. Well, it's so two, I, I'm not sure right now. Yeah, two completely different networks. But, you know, if you can get the right. best of both worlds, you know, the UK and the USA, it's like that's, right. that's I guess, ideal. It's funny because I feel, obviously, I'm not in LA. Like I'm in Edinburgh, which is it's the capital of Scotland, but it's tiny, man. Like of uh, you know, but other people might not. Um, yeah. And it's funny because a few years ago, I'm sure we had this conversation. It's like, you know, I was thinking maybe I could move to somewhere else where I would. Yeah, you were be thinking New York, right? Similar... You'd be great, good in New York. Yeah, I was thinking, but um, I don't know if I'm just getting like comfortable. But the more I stay here, the more I'm like. I really like it here and like yeah. I'm I'm happy what's happening and it's like it's so affordable so it means that I can do a little bit of this like you know teach a bunch yeah. but then I have so much time to like work on my own things and um yeah. I, I really value that but also see how being in your situation would be so beneficial like just right. being made to get stuff done but um just different places I th I mean I think that's true and and I I think I probably envy your situation sometimes as well because I would love to just travel some more. Yeah, I, I really love have that. Yeah, and we don't have that freedom here. I mean, America's in the pretty much in the middle of nowhere. There's you know, it's and it's so expensive to travel from LA. Um, even though there's some really cool places around here, and you know, we could drive and whatever, but 
I'd love to see more of Europe and just travel on the cheap and get a twenty pound flight to Spain. Or yeah, I love it, know. man. Like I, it's funny because I was catching up with a friend recently and they were asking like, generally, how's my year been? And I was thinking about it and you know it's been an amazing year for sure. But when I think back to the previous years, I've always said, oh, that was the best year of my life. And I think a lot had to do with honestly like nothing like career related or music. It was more like how much of the world did I see in that year made me feel like. I don't know I just I, I love traveling like if there's yeah there's really three things that I do and it's like I play a lot of music obviously that's like what I do I, I climb as well I don't know if we've talked about that yeah we've spoken about and that. um yeah. I love traveling and that's that's about it and my girlfriend makes why amazing food that I like eating so that's that's perfect situation <laughs> um I think that's why I have such an itch to tour with artists just to travel even if I'm going to be sitting in a bus if I can get a couple hours away from work mm. then i can you know just just to see a bit of the world whether that's the rest of america or the rest of the world i think that that will suffice my itch to travel and i would get paid to do it i think that's why i really want to do that whilst i'm young yeah man totally it's like yeah. it's all like it's gonna happen for you for sure man like you've right. you, you've got this but um <laughs> yeah going back to your because i do have i've got some notes here about things that i'd like to talk about and um sure. I have two question marks. One we'll get onto later, but the first one is like your album because okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure you said to me that you were thinking about working on it last time we spoke and you weren't quite sure about what yeah. you were going to do. Um, uh-huh. So maybe could you just tell me a little bit about that in terms of like what the, is there a concept? Like you've described the sound a bit, but you know, maybe right. we could go a bit further into that as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I've struggled for so many years, probably for like the past five or six years and I've wanted to put an album out there since I was 17 or 18. And I just struggled with finding whatever sound I had in my head. I didn't know how to produce it on my laptop or record it. And I'm always my worst critic. So whenever I've rec- I have thousands of demos I've recorded over the past five or six years. But just because me being me, none of them are ever good enough. And I think I really need to take a step back and maybe put someone else in charge of the production and just overseeing the project in order for me to actually get anywhere with the music that I'm writing. And I actually ended up, I did that a few months ago. My friend Matt, um, who lives in LA, I asked him, I went to him and I said, look, I really just need a third party to tell me yes or no and control this just so that I can get some stuff out there. And that was really helpful. We sat for a few hours and went through one of my tracks and that was good just to get some, you know, confirmation from him that, oh, that this this take is good enough. Yep. Or, you know. See, so, yeah. On you go. You know. Uh, no, go for it. Oh, cool. I was going to say, I've had a similar situation actually because um, I started writing the music for this, I think it's an album because um, right. there's like nine tracks and... It, a bunch of them will be over six minutes probably. So it's going to be a lot of time. But um, it wasn't until I actually like had some friends over or like, you know, jamming here and there and, and they asked like, oh, can I hear your music? And like getting that confirmation because you work on it on your own and like get all the ideas down and then eventually you bring it to musicians. But I think there's a huge step, at least for me, between like, all right, I have something. I think it's okay. But then someone's saying oh, I really dig, like, this section. It's like, having that confirmation, we don't, like, you don't you don't need it, but it helped me so much. Like, I think that's what made right. me be like, 
oh, cool, maybe this will become something. And then obviously, like, social media right. kind of helps with that. It's like if you put an idea up and people are like, oh, what songs are that? It's really cool. It's like, haha, it's mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. But I don't know. I'm kind of in a situation where now I'm on... It's like nine tracks. I'm looking at it on my whiteboard right there, and I'm like, yeah, there's you've there's been working on yours for a while now, right? For a while, but it's the kind of thing. It's like I've not. It's not been consistent at all, man. Like I would go right. like, I'm not kidding about two months without even thinking about it, and then be like, oh, I'll pick back up on it. So it's like, right. If I added up all the time, it's probably been like three months of actual work. Mm. Um, okay. But I'm in a situation now where, working with a band and it's like you're talking about all these things to do with like production and that and for me i'm like mingzas i'm approaching it more like a jazz record where it's like you know i have a chart we have like the mm. the head and the chords that need to be happening just go in and jam right yeah so it's like it's yeah. not going to be i don't want it to be polished i want it to feel live yeah. and raw and like yeah. um i'm sure there'll be like yeah like that that's the kind of vibe that i want to capture um right. but then i do hear people like uh Pelini, for example who it's like everything's so polished and it sounds so good but right. that's personally that's not my style and like uh, i kind of just want to go in and you know get ready with the band that's going to be the biggest thing is like just actually getting the band ready so that we're all comfortable and then we can just go in try and get like two tracks done a day or something and right then i'm gonna worry about like production in terms of like what i really want it to sound like if you know what i mean because i know what my mm-hmm. like tones and all that kind of stuff like i'm I know what I need for that. Yeah. Um, but like the other end of it in terms of like the sort of, I don't know, just the other bits with like the mixing and like how, like what I actually want to mix to sound like. You know, I've not really thought right. about that because for me it's more like let's just get the music done then or whatever that. Yeah, so that's true. I, that's that's my problem is that I'm constantly thinking about the end product whilst I'm doing it and I'm writing as I'm recording which is also a bad thing I think because I don't have I never start recording with a full song I just play a little lick and I try and expand on it and then I add other instruments and I think I'm I'm trying to go for somewhere in the middle of polished and live and just try I don't want it to sound perfect and pristine yeah kind of like the the Elba Triangle album right that was a great album because that's so polished that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that that's probably a good reference. Ah, nice. I like yeah. it. Cool. It's, I think I was listening to a track from that recently, actually. I was like, wow, Tom Quayle. It's like, every now and then I just like forget about him. And Me I'm too. Like, and then, wow. I'm, <laughs> then I go on a little binge on YouTube or Instagram and it's like, oh, it's insane. Yeah, such so an incredible player. But um, yeah. yeah, so I'm just looking behind your pretty guitars, right? And so let's let's just go through the situation of Brandon comes up with an idea then, right? And you're you're playing one of these guitars, right? Uh-huh. Do each do each one of them because I know you've got a few other on the other side. Um, There's a couple other. Do they inspire you in different ways, or is it more like you? I don't know, like do you have an idea then you think about the guitar you need, or is it more just like you're playing the guitar and it doesn't matter what guitar? Because I've got certain guitars bring out different things in me, and I've written right. different tracks on different guitars, and I know why it is, you know? Right. Absolutely. I I think I used to get like that, but now I'm at a point where. For me, I think a guitar is just a guitar now. Unless I'm playing the D'Angelico, hmm. then I I can only play jazz on the D'Angelico. Oh, really? That's funny because that just it just brings it out. I don't know why. Yeah, because it's like I I'm looking at a track here and it's like I know what guitar needs to be on it and I know why that right. is because like my D'Angelico, the uh, XL one, uh, right. no sorry, the SS one, the the smaller oh. body one, like that yeah, just brings like out 
Yeah, that just brings out a certain sound to me because I've got that strung up uh, 12s, right? Right. And then the other, the jazz box behind me, like that obviously mm. brings out a certain sound. And I do not play the same music on my Telecaster mm. or my Strat. Like it's just not right. the same instrument. It's like Absolutely. I, yeah, so it's like, I know there's tracks that I've written definitely on the SS compared to yeah. one that's been written on a Telecaster or something. And right. you'll hear that when you hear the record, I guess, because you'll be able to tell the different kind of sounds right. but um i definitely get that i mean especially with the ss it brings out all the jazz stuff but with these three here the strat the telly and the sg i can kind of i i don't think there's a distinguish distinguishing factor between them and uh, there'll be people at home when i say this who will hate me but the telly and the sg never come off the wall i only play the the strat at least for the past few months i've just been really lazy about restringing the other two so the SG hasn't been restrung in about don't three say it. or four years, um, but just because it was in the guitar was in Scotland for such a long time, and I brought it back with me the last time I came to LA, and the telly has flat wound thirteens on it right now. Damn, um, uh, it's nuts. So, and I thought I wanted the telly to before I got the uh, D'Angelico. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Before I got the D'Angelico, I wanted the telly to be my kind of jazz like. Uh, Ted Green guitar. Nice. And um, yeah, the the flat one, the the thirteen flat ones just weren't for me. Maybe not um, a Telecaster, like. Yeah, well, that's what he. Uh, whatever. Um, but he. Um, well, yeah, I guess. It's, mm. But yeah, but I'm, I just have to restring them and I'll use them somewhere. Yeah, do it, man. Like I actually accidentally got. Uh, f- what are they? They're half flat one strings. Uh, that were living. Ah, so I'm I'm using them on the SS right now. Absolutely okay. love them. Like I think they're the strings that are going to be on that guitar. Um, I have proper flat ones on that one. It's great. But anyway, I accidentally got a livings instead of twelves. Uh, and so I'm actually going to put them on the telly and see how they feel because my telly's strung up with elevens. Oh, cool. And so I'm kind of interested right. to hear what kind of vibe that brings out. But I don't expect it's yeah. going to be one that I want to keep. But yeah. I think you should I... definitely like restring them because even just trying yeah. different strings. Like I know, I know, because I've been using elixirs my whole life, and I, and I'm kind of sick of them now because yeah. they refuse to endorse me. All right, cool. So, despite, you know. obviously, I recently became an artist with Daddario, right? And right. I'm so super stoked about that for two reasons, right? The first one is that they are a progressive company. When was a la- like, sorry if anybody from Elixir's listening, but when was the last time Elixir done anything new? Seriously, yeah, right? And have you seen their social media? Um, and also. The uh, the amount of options you get with Diodario is ridiculous, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like I can yeah. have flat wounds, I can have half flat wounds, I can have chrome, I can have nickel, I can have anything. I can have coated strings now as well. Have you tried them? The, no, I haven't. Right, so now they've got new coated strings that... Right. Try them if you like elixirs. Um, yeah. But the amount of options that you get is just ridiculous, man. Like, really? I can have one acoustic strong with, like really kind of vintage sounding strings then the other one can just be super bright you know and my telly can have like nyxls that are like super bendy whereas my but strat... how long how, how long do they usually last all right cool great question right uh and this isn't meant to be any sort of an endorsement obviously i do endorse the company like absolutely but i put a set of uh nyxl uh these aren't the ones i used but right because they're nines but um i put a set of them on like the d'angelico right that's my st- everyday guitar right mm-hmm. and they lasted me ages like because really? when i used to buy uncoated strings i felt like i went through them quick 
Maybe I just had like sweaty hands when I was a teenager. Yeah, I have that. Yeah. Right, because nowadays, like, I could have a pair of uncoated strings honestly feel great for a month. Like, I'm not kidding. Um, and it's not because I'm lazy, because I've got more than enough strings and more than enough time to get it done. But it's like they just felt fine, and I was like hesitant mm. to even restring it. But I got some other strings. I was like, well, I'll try these ones out now. So it's like, right. I honestly, man, give them a try. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna do that after you've convinced me to try and switch. I'm gonna I'm gonna try the Diodario ones. But just back on the topic of guitars. Cool. Actually, none of these guitars or the DN Jellicoe is my favorite right now. All right. I actually bought a few months ago. I was doing a gig, and I needed an acoustic guitar, so I went to Guitar Center and just bought the cheapest first one that I saw. I think it was like a hundred dollars, and it was called Mitchell Guitars. All right. And I found out that Guitar Center owns this company. That's why they're so cheap. So I, I and I played it, and it just felt and sounded amazing. So I contacted the company, and I said, "Oh, I'd love to promote you." Blah blah blah. So they sent me two more guitars. They sent me another acoustic, and they sent me a Strat. And the Strat is one of the most beautiful Strats, the most beautiful sounding Strats I've ever played in my entire life. And and I and it it retails for two hundred dollars. Honestly, the parts on the guitar are worth more than the guitar itself. You could sell the pickups and the bridge and the tuners. It has lock and tuners. What are, what are the pickups? Are they their own thing? I've, or I have no idea, honestly. All right. But um, it plays incredible and it sounds so good. Wow. And it's it caught, you can retail for $200 and it's amazing. Right. That yeah. That's interesting here because I know that uh, the two guitars... So your Strat and the Telecaster, or they're custom made, right? Right, the Strat and the Tele are custom, yeah. Yeah, can you tell me about that? Because that's like so, that's interesting. Who who made? Yeah, them? so that's a company called Warmoth. They're based in Seattle, and well, the 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 story behind the blue one was that when I was still in Scotland, I and in high school, I got. Well, actually, well, let's rewind before that. I before I had my first good guitar, so my SG was my first really good guitar and i could never afford a good guitar i always had like these crappy guitars or a guitar that my uncle gave me that he had when he was a kid or whatever so i i started looking at how to get a good guitar and there was a couple charities in the uk that offered grants cool so i applied for a grant of a thousand pounds to get a guitar and i got it um so that's what that's how i was able to buy the sg when i was 14 and then when I was about 16, I thought, oh, I wonder if I could get another one because I'm kind of itching for a new guitar. <laughs> so I got another one and I bought the, the Blue Strat. But I, I, again, I got a £1,000 grant and I couldn't really find a guitar at that price point in, in Guitar Guitar or online that I really wanted. It was just... I like there was just there was SGs and then there were some like Mexican Strats or something. I didn't really want a Strat at that point. So I thought... I wonder if I could build one. So I found Warmoth and I, I probably spent about an extra 200 like on pickups and hardware and stuff. And it originally had a flame maple neck that was huge. It was a huge, thick, I remember chunky that. thing. Um, I don't know why I got that, but I was it, the type of neck is called a 59 round back. And I think it's a type of neck on a 59 Les Paul. And it was on this tiny little strap. Hefty. So it was big. Um, and then I contacted Warmoth after I got it and I said, oh, I'd love to work with you guys. And they said, sure, let's do it. 
I actually waited a whole year to respond to that. Wow. Um, why? Why? Because, Bill, at that point, I was still I was at Berkeley, and then I was doing a semester in Spain, at their campus there, and it just didn't make any sense for me to start working with a company, and I didn't really know which addresses I would be living at, and it was just yeah, you know. So I waited a year, and then I got back in touch with them, and I said, "Oh, would you guys still be up for it?" And they were like, "Sure." Um, which I had no followers. I didn't have. I had no Instagram presence. I probably had like a couple hundred subscribers on YouTube. My videos on Facebook were doing really well, but that was about it. Um, and they believed in me. They said, "You know, we think your career could do well, so we'll partner up with you." And at first, to test it out, they sent me. They could. They said they would either send me a body or a neck. So uh, I went cool. I went for the new neck because I hated the thick 59 round back. There's, a, there's a, nice... a funny story about the delivery on that neck, no? What do you mean? Oh, I just remember you, sorry to interrupt, but I remember you telling me that like you missed the delivery and then had to run oh. down the road and like with cash <laughs> yeah, in because, your hand. Yeah, because when, when, so it was coming from America and you need to pay the import fee tax or something at the door when the delivery guy turns up. And, and I think I was, I paid, the milkman came to the door that morning and I gave him a fiver and I was five pounds short to pay the import fees on the guitar. So the guy, the delivery guy wouldn't give me the guitar. So uh, I had to, I was phoning everybody. I was like, is there money in the house? I just need five pounds. And my stepdad was like, right upstairs in the drawer, there's a fiver, go take it. And I, I called, the delivery guy gave me his number and I phoned him and I had to run like probably about a mile before he left to his next location and that was to get the whole guitar that was the body and the neck because i just ah, i right. could have gotten it the next day i could have picked it up later that day but i just really wanted it i was done i was stupid it was um worked out but yeah so the first deal i did with warmoth i got a new neck to replace that 59 round back and i got this really nice thin uh roasted maple neck which is beautiful and i have i when i when we decided to do a, a second deal with warmoth to get the telecaster got the same exact neck same specifications because i just loved it so much cool. same inlays it's just very consistent looking just plays really well um so that's kind of the story behind them I, both of them i was going for a sir look because i could never afford a sir yeah it's funny because uh, i i saw sue like done nearly the same guitar as your strat and i was like wait right. a minute i guess it's yeah, maybe they, just a they common just color yeah they just released one that looks exactly like it and with the telecaster i was basing that one off of an actual sir guitar cool. so um what what are you because yeah. i know like uh, if i think back to like hearing and seeing you play the strats kind of me your main guitar yeah. Um, how have you used the Telecaster in the last year or so that you've had it? Whatever it's been. Not a lot. I have. I've never gigged with it live. Um, I've because it's been sitting on the wall and and also in the past year I've moved apartments twice, so there's been things in cases and boxes and right. I haven't had a lot of room. I didn't. Right now I'm in a studio. I'm in my own room with you know acoustic panels and it's my own space. But the apartment we were in before this. I didn't have any space. Um, all my guitars were just kind of bunched up in the corner. I didn't have any room to do anything. So I haven't really played it that much. Um, so I can't, I have no interesting stories for that. Well, maybe I'll get to play it sometime. It'll, 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 it'll get nice. played. Yeah, man. So what about yeah. the D'Angelico then? Because I know that's a fairly new one for you, right? Cause... Right, the D'Angelico I've had probably three months. Oh, cool. And how are you finding it? I loved it when I first got it. 
I still love it. Mm. I don't. It's not that I don't love it anymore. I loved it when I first got it. Um, and I'm trying to think if I've played with it live. I'm not sure. Um, it's it's on some tracks. I played it on some tracks. Um, it's on some like scores I've done and stuff. Um, but again, I've just for ease of use because the strat is so versatile. Yeah. Um, that's just whenever I'm sitting down at my studio to record, I just automatically pick that one up. Right. And again. It's just that laziness of not changing the strings. Because when you have so many guitars, like, it's expensive to change all these strings. Man, do you know how many guitars are in this room with me right now? I know. I know, right? So, um, but I still love it. It's a great guitar. And it looks, it's so beautiful. Um, it's it's a pretty color. So yeah. It'll get, that'll get, that'll definitely get played more. Um, I, it's, and then, yeah. Yeah, I feel that with my, because we, um, we have the same model roughly, right? Is it the I have a deluxe SS? Cool. Mings is the Excel one, right. right? And I think Mings is also like maybe a year older than yours. Um and I right. think they switched out the necks for new ones. Um so you might have a newer uh -huh. neck. Um but my neck is really thick and I loved it when I first got it and I was fighting between that and the Ibanez for a while until I realised, you know what, they're different guitars. You know, they both do mm -hmm. different things. I shouldn't be like fighting. Um obviously they're not. Like, I'm not really thinking about it like this, but that's what I've come to realize. And right. I just find that the more I play the D'Angelico, the better it gets, man. Like, it's my main guitar now, and I love it for so many reasons. But I think part of it is, like, I never had to fight with it at the beginning, but I just really had to play it. I don't know what, what you can get yeah. from that, really. But it's like, I think it came on, like, nines or tens or something like that. I was like, nah, no way. I was like, all right, 11s. And they were all right for a while, but just never enough. And the way I've got right. set up right now is that I kind of approach that guitar the way I want it to play. Like, you know, if you play a chord, like, I don't know, A minor 11 sort of shape. The reason I'm saying that is because it's an easy one to kind of vibrato. Um, and you kind of, I don't know, you can naturally get a lot of vibrato without meaning it, kind of. Or even if you just play a melody... And it's like, it's super easy to do vibrato. Right. I basically want that guitar to be like a piano where you play a chord and it's just exactly that and you can't wiggle it, right? right? Um, yeah. And I love, I just love the way it plays like that. It's like every note is absolutely defined and it's not, I, I can't even uh -huh. bend the G string, man. It's like, really? like maybe a, a microtone. <laughs> but it's like, I, so I love that. Like, whereas... See, I think, sorry, the only thing that bothers me about the D'Angelico is the pickup selector why i don't mind it's like five it's like five selections oh mine, mine is it uh, no i've got the old one man mine's just three. Oh, you have the old one. Oh, so mine's is like it's 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 not like your traditional like strat five it's like it goes diagonally and stuff it's nuts oh cool um and i can i, I feel like it's just a little pointless because i only use it in one position anyway wow um i have that it, one. It, it's very versatile it has a lot of different sounds um but it's that's annoying. I felt like that about my GSM because it's got that little, like little switch thing down in the body that can put in like so I can't remember series and parallel. It's a John Schofield one, so you can do the uh, you can do right. the twangy sort of thing, and um, I never used that thing, like I just kept right. it on the neck pickup or the bridge because the Same. bridge is really nice in that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I think certain guitar types suit being all rounders like i think a strat is a good thing to have where you can maybe like yeah. split the coils or something like that but i think for like my d'angelico is it does the thing that i want it to do so i'm not trying to make it versatile right. 
Um, right. I've got other things, but there are other versatile guitars I have, like the Telecaster is super versatile, and the Shergold. Oh, totally. Like, yeah, have you saw that Shergold? Oh, I've yeah. got. I I haven't. I've never played it in person. Right. Yeah, because everybody's always surprised when they see me things. playing it. They're like, oh, looks a bit different. I'm like, yeah, that's that's what's cool about it, right? But it's yeah, the most yeah. like comfortable and light guitar I have. Like, mm-hmm. and you can split the pickup, and it's got a P90 neck, and it's oh, so nice, man. I love that guitar. Yeah, it sounds so, good. Yeah, it's great, man. Um, yeah, maybe it'll make it onto one of the tracks. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> That's it. Yeah, well, anyway, let me just... There's one other thing I want to talk to you about, right? Sure. Um, Let's do it. So, again, in our last conversation, I remember you saying... Uh, and sorry if I'm bringing up like a a thing from the past that's not happening. But I remember you saying you were writing a book. Oh God! <laughs> oh no! Sorry. Um, yeah. You you were yeah, really keen I about was. it as well. I know. I I was really I was really into it. Um, that has not happened. Um, <laughs> I I really wanted to do it, but again, life just got in the way, and I was doing more stuff i still would love to have a book yeah and and it's i I probably wrote about 30 percent of it um this was last this probably in january i was really into it um yeah i'd love to finish it but it 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 just never happened right um and and i still have it all yeah what what book was it what was about if you want to go it was basically gonna be a, a book about how because I'm from a rock background and I found it incredibly difficult to understand or find any material on how an existing rock player could become a jazz player. It was always stuff that you were learning from the beginning and you, they would never show you how to implement your existing skills into playing jazz, right. you know? So I, I wanted to write it from that angle of how a rock player could become a jazz player because there are a lot of them out there a lot of people love the sound of jazz but they just can't understand it they don't have the vocabulary they they can't find the right materials to make them understand it so that was kind of it was going to be about that it was mm. going to be a transition from rock to jazz and an easy simple clear clear way to understand that you wouldn't have to throw out everything you knew about rock you could actually implement it into you know your playing so sweet maybe one day yeah man day. no you should do it i think a lot of people would really benefit from that like i know yeah. i would have when i was 14 or whatever like trying to me to think about these other yeah. things i remember it was it was guffrey govin when i heard him play i was like wait a minute he's like really swinging and doing like all this chromaticism but he's shredding his right. ass off and i was like when i heard guffrey govin i was like wow like i want to get a bit of that like a bit of the the approach mm-hmm. i was never like a shredder sort of like like he can um, but I was like, it was when I heard "Wonderful Slippery Thing," and you know when he kicks in that. Yeah, I was, well, I, the intro solo. Yeah, I was like, "What yeah. is happening here?" And I remember saying to my teacher, "I was like, all right, we need to do this," and I was so excited about it. Um, and that was that was literally my transition into jazz is hearing him play. Wow. And um, there's so many other ways I could have gone around it, but hearing someone who was obviously a rock player but could absolutely play the changes and like bebop mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, like. That was just so inspiring for me. And then that led on to like just exploring the whole fusion thing for years. Um, yeah, same. But I've kind of just, I think I'm maybe in a bit of jazz rabbit hole now. Like kind of gone into that sound. You definitely are. Yeah, yeah you're all, all about that, which is great. I love it. I wish, I might see my problem again is that I don't listen to enough music. Because when I was in Scotland, I, I listened to so much music and 
I could, I was walking two miles to school and back, or I was taking the train into college, and I'd just stick on my headphones for an hour at a time. But then when you move to LA, you don't walk anywhere, you don't have time to listen to music. I haven't properly listened to a lot of music or intentionally listened to music, which is something I really need to get back into. Yeah, I think that's why, um, you know, most of these guitars don't get played as much as they should. Right, lacking inspiration. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, I've been listening to the same people for years. I mean, like you said, Guthrie Govan and Tom Quayle and Rick Graham and all these people, and that no one, none of them were bringing out any new content for me yeah. to listen to. And that's why I think the jazz world starts to take over because there was new stuff like Jonathan Kreisberg and totally ma- Julian Lage and have you, you know, heard all these guys? Have you heard Jonathan Kreisberg's new like album from like last week or something? I. I took a screenshot from your story so oh, that I could listen to it later. Man, this, like, I'm not kidding. I think it's the best jazz record this year. Like, really? Without a shadow of doubt. Like, oh, it's you need so to send good. Me, you need to send me, like, your top 10 well, albums. What of this I was going to do, actually, is I was just going to do that right now. Um, I could even look into the playlist that's been made for me. But what I'll go and do is I'll, uh, I'll look at the playlist I've made. I'll, I'll kind of right. keep it. Shall I keep it jazz or shall I open up to anything I've been listening to? No, anything. I don't care. I'm, oh, I'm, cool. I'm just going to scroll down to the bottom of the most recent things. So I'll give you artists' names just to check out. So a sure. piano player called Hiromi. Hiromi okay, is insanely good. Um, I found a really interesting album by the drummer called Ari Honig called Lines of Oppression. That's very interesting. Ari Honig. Um, a really cool album by... I'm not sure how you say his second name, but it's Tristian... Melia? Melia? He's a piano player and the album's called No Problem. Um, I've been massively listening to two guitarists, one called Mike Moreno and one called Kurt Rosenwinkel. And, oh, yeah. oh man, just love their sound. I th- I, yeah, I saw Kurt at Nam last year. Oh, cool. That's when, that's when someone passed out in the crowd. <laughs> Explains. Um... Yeah, I could keep going, like Tigran Hamasi, and I was fortunate enough to see him live uh, in Glasgow. And that was like solo piano gig. In fact, no, I think he got someone on to like play trumpet or something. But um, that was very inspiring. Yeah, there's Yeah, I saw him at Berkeley with an orchestra. Oh, wow. Which was cool, yeah. Oh, was it the middle? Like the Middle East. Oh, yeah. I would love to see that. So cool. It was really good. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, it's been great chatting, man. Um, absolutely we will we will do this again sometime and can chat about some other things yeah, yeah when are when are we gonna get you to nam on a final note all right on a final note nam it's one of those things man like so we had like almost planned me doing it was it last year summer yeah uh yeah, last year something yeah. like that and then or like this this january like this past january right and then i just had this thing where i was like i went like i stopped using social media as much like i still try and keep relevant but i hadn't really putting time into it like I did before and I was very happy with where I was in terms of like relationships with brands and all that kind of stuff and so I wasn't interested in going for that and I was thinking well why would I go is it to play and meet new people and I thought well Nam's not the best place to do that it's super loud and everybody's just trying to show off and we had this chat actually and yeah. I was just like well will it actually serve me you know because it's not cheap for me to come all the way over to LA and like do that um and you know, it's it's not. I'm not a big enough artist where like D'Angelico would pay for me to come to Nam, for example. Like that's right. just not gonna happen. Um, yeah. So 
yeah, I made a decision. I was like, well, I'm not going to go this year. What I'll do is I'll wait until I feel like it's going to be beneficial for me instead of just doing it as an experience because I'm not hungry for right. that. I'll wait until maybe I've got my record out and I feel like there's something for me to be like, just a bit more reason for me to be there other than just like checking out guitars because I'm totally not interested in new guitars or anything like that. I just want to work yeah. on my craft and that's what I've been doing this year uh, and I'm feeling very positive about the kind of direction it's taken. So small things cool. like not going to Nam or not spending a couple of yeah. grand basically <laughs> to finance another thing. It's like, I've just kind of bit the bullet with that and been like, oh, right, I'll just kind of not do that this year. And right. it's just a compromise, I guess. But um, I will definitely go sometime and it would be great to go and like meet all the kind of brands that I work yeah. with. And, but yeah, not really. Up for, are you going this year? Um, I think I'm being forced to. I, I Again, every year I say I'm not going to go because after the first year I went, it was just too much. I went every day and it was right. insane. But last year I went because my friend... Jaden had never been and he you know I just went to show him around and meet some people cool and then this year I think I have to go because two of my friends from Boston are staying with me and they've never been to Nam and then uh, Martin Miller uh, Martin Miller's girlfriend Martina uh, she also asked to stay with me she's coming over from Germany and she asked me to accompany her at the Ibanez booth so great I think I'm just being forced to go. Man, just uh, do it. Know. I mean, if you live in LA, I can see how easy. Oh, it of be. course, it's yeah. It's like it's two-hour drive. That, that's easy. May uh, as well. And I read. I already got a ticket from Warmouth and D'Angelico, so I need Great. to pick which one I'm gonna rep. But go with D'Angelico. Um, ugh. Um, Man. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we could, we could talk about all that stuff for ages. Like, I'm I'm excited yeah. to see what they're bringing out. Like, there's some cool yeah. things that they've kind of done hints at online, but. I guess it might be out by the time this podcast out. So well, Warmouth are doing really cool stuff too because all the restrictions for all the exotic woods ah. were just lifted in America, so they're releasing some really cool stuff. Sweet. Well, maybe we can yeah. chat up if you go to Nam. We'll have like a, a Nam one after that. You can tell me about all the cool stuff. Right. Yeah. 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 Take some Sweet. pictures. All right. Any final words for the for the listeners? Keep practicing. Yep. All right. Sweet. I'll catch you later, Brandon. All right. See you. All right, episode number three is in the bag. Thanks so much to Brandon for sitting down and chatting with me. It's always a pleasure. Be sure to leave a review, go buy some merch and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, I'll see you in episode four.